You're listening to Irish Radio Canada Home and Abroad, and um, while I try to focus on topics that are Canadian-Irish, some things go way beyond that in that they're universal and they're global, and they are Irish, and there's an Irish in, a connection, involvement, and reason to do it. And Jonathan Harkin has taken it upon himself to put to paper some tips in the form of a toolkit, and he's calling it the Mindset Toolkit. Well, that's the subtitle to a a book he has just put out there called Solo Run, and it is available free as a PDF download. And Jonathan is a mindset coach, and he has dedicated the book to his friend Michael Rorty, Roycey. So Michael Michael Rorty, who was known as Roycey, 1994-2019, and we'll hear uh, why Jonathan dedicates the book to Michael. Jonathan, thanks a million for coming along and having a chat and uh, sharing what we're about to hear. It's a, it's a pleasure. It's a real pleasure to talk to you. So I didn't say where you were from. You've already told us with your accent. You're, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're from Donegal. <clears throat> I'm from Gidor. County Donegal, Gidor's probably one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. So, and um, where did you say you're, you're uh, from? Gidor, born, bred, reared, everything in Gidor. Yeah, a full, full blown Gaeltacht man. So I probably had to learn English from watching the Flintstones and things like this when I was young. <laughs> <laughs> and in growing up around Gidor, one of the things, as I understand it and recall. That area is the most populated rural area in Europe, as I understand it. It is. That's correct. It's one of the. It's the most populated rural area in Europe, and it's the. I believe the biggest Gaeltacht as well in Ireland, and um, it's it's just a brilliant place. You know, you have Mount Errigal behind you with the islands in front of you, the beaches, the golf courses, the football pitches. It's just so scenic. It's the. I think it's the pinnacle of the Wild Atlantic Way. Um, well, you, you can, would. You but could, me being from Galway would have to say that Connemara, <laughs> Connemara is, is super, is better. But that's we'll get into the county rivalry at a different stage. And, <laughs> and and of course, I had the privilege of spending my Gaeltacht period in Gortahork and uh, I've been up visiting, was able to visit up there since then, relatively recently as well. It is a beautiful part of the country. And do you know what? That's brilliant as well. That One thing about Gidor, no matter where you go, someone has visited Gidor either to learn Irish or just to see the scenery. There's always some kind of connection, no matter where you go or who you meet. Now, one of the, I guess, strange things about that area is that while it's part of the Republic of Ireland, it's actually very much to get there. You either, if you're coming from anywhere else, you either have to come up through Sligo or through a fairly narrow neck, or you have to cut across to the north of Ireland. So in an awful lot of ways, it's its own place. The, uh, Donegal is very much its own place. We've, um, we've, we've very much our own identity. I know that um, walking around Gidor in a shop or maybe in the local bar, you find your, the northern accents, the, the Connemara accents, you get your Glasgow accents. We have the that migration link to Glasgow as well, and you know it's just a bit of everything. So we're we're a breed to our own. <laughs> and as I mentioned earlier, it is the most populated rural area in Europe. 
So consequently, there's a very strong community. There's a very strong connection with people, with families that hasn't really been damaged in the same way as in a lot of other rural areas. No, and the fact that you, you often forget how big Gidor can be because it's so tight knit. Everybody knows everybody. You have your you have your local characters that just makes makes the place tick. Um, if something needs to be done as a parish, everyone pulls together. If something someone's in trouble, people pull together. You have that you have that sense of you know exact you know everybody everybody knows you. There's that kind of safe safe, homely vibe about it at all times. And I think that's a very important foundation for what we will be talking about because we've heard it said that it takes a village to rear a person. And despite what we've just been talking about, nowhere is immune from the challenges of living. No area can say that because we are so close-knit and because we're supportive and integrated, that it means that you have this oasis where the challenges of mental health issues do not arrive. No, definitely not. Um, And especially, I believe, um, you know, it's obviously worldwide, but coming from an Irish perspective and especially in a rural area where, um, as as times go on, as years go on, rural areas kind of maybe lose a lot of lose a lot of their maybe their youth due to migration. There's not a lot there for for the youth that is growing up, and um, mel- mental health issues tend to always linger and maybe maybe grow a little bit um, as the years go on as well. So um, it's kind of a, something that's always lurking around and. Um, at the moment, it's not really being highlighted and being dealt with in what I believe would be a proper way to deal with it. So the other thing then being where you mentioned it's such a close-knit area and everybody knows everybody, does that make it more challenging for somebody who may have challenges, mental health issues, have feel different feel that they don't belong, does it make it more difficult for them to actually reach out because it's so close-knit? Yeah, I believe so. You know, you like everyone, you have your families, you know, just as an example, you have your Galahars, your Dohertys, everyone has their own corner. And there's an, there's an awful sense probably of pride and maybe embarrassment if you're the, if you're the one who's going to stand up and say, I'm struggling and I need help. You may feel like, um, you're bringing a sort of embarrassment towards your your tribe or your clan. So the irony in many ways, and this is not untypical, the irony is that in what is a very integrated, supportive, cohesive community can actually present its own challenges to somebody who has is struggling to belong. But that's the thing. It's the fact that that per, a person who may be struggling feels like they would be the black sheep of the community for maybe um, from for for um, expressing something like this. Whereas, in fact, if they did express that, they'd have so many people to come out in the droves to help them get through whatever they're get, they're going through. So, Jonathan, just so as we put it in context as well, we're not chatting to you and Guido at the moment. You're actually 
further east than that. Physically, where are you at the moment? Yeah, well, I'm not up in Belfast anyway. <laughs> I'm, I'm a lot. <laughs> I'm further east again. So I'm I'm currently I'm living in Dubai. I've been um, living in the UAE for the past five years. I I moved out. I originally moved out to Abu Dhabi, which which is just one hour drive up the road. And um, I've been living in Dubai now for the last three years. Then the book is dedicated to Michael Rorty, to Royce. Tell us about Michael. Got to get a bit of goosebumps there now. Royce, as we like to call him, um, would be one of the characters I spoke about earlier. He was one of the guys who made made the parish tick. Um, good, fun-loving, always up for the crack, great footballer. And um, just life and soul of the party. And uh, unfortunately, we lost Royce to um, a big road traffic accident in Donegal um, over two years now. Um, unfortunately, there was five five young men lost that day, and um, it really really scarred scarred our community. And it was an awful shame, and um, that the the void is still 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 there, and probably will never be filled. Right, and um, you and he would have been around the same age. We would have been the round about the same age. Royce would maybe be a year and a half, maybe two years younger than me. He was always coming coming up behind me, so um, I was able to see I was able to see him maybe do some some mistakes I did in the past, and uh, going through the same paths as going through going through college experiences, having good times. I could see a lot of the things I done in the past that he was taking the same steps through it. So I enjoyed watching him going through that process. Okay, so now let's put it in context again. What age are you at the moment, Jonathan? I'm 29 years old, and I'll be turning 30 this October. Okay, so, um, and the reason I want to put it in context is because for someone who uh, is in many concepts still very, very young with a whole life ahead of you, um, to have taken the time to sit down, to sit down, to do an analysis of living and of your life and to to put something in place and more to put it down on paper um, that we'll, we'll get to what was it that triggered all this. But again, coming back, the name of the book that you've written is Solo Run, and that's the first chapter. Um, obviously, a good GAA context there. Yeah, well, I always, I'm always a big GAA man at heart. Um, I grew up playing soccer and uh, soccer for Gidor United and GA for Gidor, obviously, um, and Publiscal Gidor. And GA was always something I was drawn to. And maybe I would never have considered myself the most talented footballer, but I, I always worked hard, which would put, put, put me up the pecking order. So I represented Donegal at minor level, represented Gidor at a young age at senior level. Um, and I've also then traveled to Boston, Philadelphia, Chicago, the Middle East, and represented GA teams there as well. So from an early age, and that would be through your teenage years and all the rest, you were just you were very much part of the team. I was. I was just following the following the footsteps. I had a couple of couple of heroes, local heroes. I would have looked looked up to on the local GA team as well, and. You always aspired to do what they're doing and 
whether that be if they were teachers, you you just wanted to be a teacher maybe because they were a teacher and they were very good at football. You wanted to maybe go party because he was a very good footballer and he partied hard. You know, you always had these role models that you looked up to and uh, they were great to have. And in fairness to all the senior members, when I was a, a young man, they, they were always very good. And again, it just shows how tight a group we were in Gidor. And during any of this period, would you say that you felt any different, any sense of not belonging, of any sense of inadequacy, of, of um, just that something wasn't right? Um, I would have to say maybe through my teenage years, no. I, I would always felt maybe awkward in situations like any teenager would, trying to mm-hmm. fit in and stuff. But I feel like once it got to that leaving cert year, that that maybe decisive year in a lot of lot of students or a lot of people's lives where they have to have to choose a path to go down, that that's when the panic button maybe set in. As I felt like I was seventeen when I went to UCD to college, which in my head for me was personally too young. Um, now. That, that's not to say a 17-year-old couldn't go to college and be successful. Just for me as an individual, I wasn't maybe mature enough. And in my heart of hearts, I wanted to stay at home, play with Gidor for a year, just play football and maybe work out with my dad in the evenings. But I was kind of had that pressure that society puts on maybe students. So you have to, you have to go to college now. You have to get your degree and then you have to get a job you have to go down certain paths whereas through those um through through those college years you're you don't know what you're doing maybe and you don't know why you're doing it but you feel like you have a you feel like you owe it to the pressures of the maybe the local community as well you know you have to have a degree at this age, you have to have a job at this age. Now you have to have your big car. Now you have to have your house. You have to have these things. But is that necessarily what an individual wants? And is that necessarily what's making an individual happy? And where would you see that those pressures um, are emanating from? And I'm trying to choose my words here carefully because what I'm trying to do is convey, because it's how an individual interprets uh, what's going on around them uh, rather than necessarily what is going on around them. Um, where would you say that these pressures were coming at you from? I, w- I would have never been pressured by no means at all by the likes of family or mm-hmm. friends. If whatever decision I wanted to make, you would have been fully supported in that. I feel like, just in my own personal opinion, I feel like in that year leading up to my leaving cert where as a massive sports person at that time, I really wanted to work in sports. Like why not work in something you're passionate for? But I was, I was kind of cut down straight away that maybe told that my intelligence wasn't going to give me the points that needed to give me a course to have a career in sports. Mm-hmm. So it's like a one size fits all. Here's where you are in our, in our, grading system so here's the course that you should do so do that because this is where we see that you are you know and and in this case the way you're talking about is the system the system yeah and 
it's the system um, in general. Yeah, you know, there's so in other words. In other words, it's kind of like there's the the cookie cutter is there, and if you're not comfortably fitting into the cookie cutter, they there there's an issue. It's like judging uh, an elephant on its ability to climb a tree. Right. Right. In, in comparison to a, a monkey, you know. Yeah. Like I have, I have lads, or sorry, I know no men and no girls who, who, who were probably in a lower bracket than me from the system or from whatever um, guidance we had, and they've went on to find paths and they're now really successful and really happy. But if they were to be judged and follow a path on this tier system. And I know people who are top of the tier at that stage and they're maybe they could be unemployed and not happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I would put it down to the system and even educating the adults who are maybe implementing the system as well. Okay. So when you did go to study at university, what was your selected faculty? For the leaving cert, I actually um, chose geography over history. Okay. And I got a I got a good score in geography. And the day I landed up in UCD, I was told that there were no geography places left for me. Okay. And what this adult told me in the room was, um, there's no geography places left. So unless you pick a completely new subject, you'll have to you'll have to pick a completely new college. Now this was me at 17 years old. Great. I didn't want my mum and dad to they've already paid for accommodation, paid for the college. I'm sure there was another way around it, but this was the advice I I was given. So mm-hmm. I had to pick his, history, something right. I didn't do for the previous three years. Right. And I, I was thrown into a history class then with no no interest at the time of history yeah. and not really knowing what was going on in them, lectures or um, tutorials for the first two, three years, right. even till I le- left the college. The other thing, Jonathan, is when you go from secondary school, which is very structured in many ways, to university, which is very unstructured, that is often a time where people have difficulty coping with that transition because um, you're coming from being under your parents' care um, where they've looked after you, put food on the table, uh, literally every morning or whenever. And uh, there's been that nurturing surroundings and you find yourself thrown into a flat in Dublin um, where every, everybody is throwing their socks wherever. Um, it's a big transition. How did that, how did, how did that, how were you able to cope or how did that strike you? Uh, in the beginning, um, you know, it was great. You're, you're out in the big bad world for the first time, you know, Mum, mum can't be shouting upstairs to tell you to get out of bed anymore and things like this. And I was lucky enough to fall in with the UCD uh, football team. But then after a while, when you see habits of those around you, maybe not the best influences on you. Um, boys aren't going to college. Boys are skipping lectures. There's more maybe day drinking going on. Everything a student student does and this is great. This is great in a student's eyes, but those those habits can quickly snowball into very bad habits and put people in bad situations. You know, if you're missing too many lectures, your grades are going to be affected. If you're if you're drinking too much, you're not going to be making that competitive football team. 
Um, it has a snowball effect on everything. And at the time, I didn't like. I I love and still love places like Eudora. I didn't like the big the big city, the the long bus journey up on a Sunday and the long bus journey down. It was it was just a constant. You're in constant fight mode instead of being in flight mode through the week every week. And that that has a massive effect on your mental health and physical health. So how did that exhibit itself in your case then? To what extent did would you say you went off the rails? Or did you go off the rails? Oh gee, I I definitely did go off the the rails to be honest with you. Um you know, and you, you don't realise at the time as well. It's it's a, it's upon reflection in a couple of years' time, in my case anyway that I only realized what kind of happened. And then that's where the regret starts filling in. And that's where, that's another snowball. But all of a sudden where, where I was always a young fit, 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 like I, I would have pride myself on my fitness and play, playing for my local senior club at 16, 17, 18, all of a sudden I was starting to put on a lot of weight all of a sudden I wasn't the fittest man on the team. All of a sudden I wasn't even on the team. And as a result of that, you're maybe getting a little bit heavier. So that's when self-doubt starts kicking in and those limiting beliefs. And you, you, may, you may be falling out with good friends. You may be making bad decisions. And it could, you, you may not realize this for two, three, four, five years down the line when you get, get maybe a little bit of a wake-up call. And that's not good either for some people when they do realize that that those couple of years have not done you any favors. So when you were going home at the weekend um, or during the summer vacation, but particularly when you were going home at the weekend and these changes were happening physically and in your head, did anybody in Guidor comment to you? No one ever commented and in a positive manner anyway. You would get friends would comment maybe on your weight and maybe in football teams like at training because of my frustrations within myself I would start acting like a little pup at training and having like agitating senior members and they would get then angry at me and I would just I would fuse fuse an argument or fuse a row or fuse a fight just probably as a mechanism so that someone could push me away so I could just go away and do my own thing and right. then 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 wonder why I was being shunned out that by maybe a group or you know they say <clears throat> birds of a feather flock flock together and uh, all these things that that are out there so when you were back in dublin because that would have been where you were most of the week um did you find yourself being drawn into a group of people of similar behavior to where your behavior was going yeah i i found myself um falling into a group with similar behaviors but now I can't. They, you know, these are these are good good people. I'm still in touch with. Oh yeah. Just, just we were just in that environment at the time, and this was the thing to do. I remember weeks on end, just sitting on a couch, getting cans of beer, eating curries, and watching watching something on on the TV. And this was just a regular day till until Friday came, till you had to go home again, and. More often than not, we'd all go out maybe on a Sunday night or a, on a Monday night even, and you'd wake up with just enough money for the bus back into town on a Friday to get to get back down home. 
I see, Jonathan, I think it's important here to clarify just something, and that's right, you said these are good people. Because I think what's also it, that, that it's important to say that not everybody is affected in the same way by the same behaviors. So you actually will, part of the maturing process, part of growing up, my father used to always say you can never put an old head on young shoulders. And um, so in the growing up process, in the maturing process, in the evolution, um, everyone is going to do crazy things, but not everybody comes out of those crazy years in the same way. And I think in some way our, our, what you're trying to focus on is recognizing that um, there is, and I use it again, collateral damage for some people. Yeah, like even I'm thinking to one particular friend um, who was definitely in the centre of our group that time, but he was doing everything I was doing, but he was able to put himself into a part-time job and work up the ladder there while going to college. Well, I couldn't even make it to maybe a lecture. And, you know, in my degree, I I had a very timetable you know i could have i could have done so much more with my time i could have been the fittest man in the world i could have started as a business i could have done another course that's how many hours my course was but i couldn't find the energy or the willpower or make the choice to walk half a mile down the road to attend a one hour a day lecture so moving along from there you you got yourself through university and came out the other end some way or other, we want we want to like because you wouldn't be where you are today if you hadn't. So we'll we'll take that as that I as think, a given. Um, if you ever seen the film Catch Me If You Can, I think I had a bit of um, I think I I think I had a bit of the the bluffer in me. Yeah, well, I got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you can't bluff history. <laughs> the historian can, but but the student can't. <laughs> so um, you. Moving along then, what, when and what brought, what between graduation and where you are today out in the UAE, did you stay in Ireland for a period or you mentioned you'd been in the US and that was with sport? Uh, give us a short chronicle of graduation to where you are today in, in just career wise. Um, I actually didn't know where, what my next steps were, um, after college because in my eyes, there was no, no one was there giving us the pathways or showing us and not even the same people who were there a couple of years previous telling you to do this course. There was no one to tell you, okay, now this is your options. So I actually had no idea. So I was back at home. Um, I went to Boston for a summer to play football. I came back, you know, saved no money, enjoyed myself and had the best times ever. Um, I, Went to Galway for a period working in a bar, you know, same bad habits, same bad decisions, not making money. And then I decided to move home to work in a factory with my father because I got that kind of desire again to get myself back in shape and play for Gidor, which was always like number one in my heart. Um, and that's what I did. I got back in the best condition ever and playing for my club again. But then working in a factory, just seeing that didn't have a great effect on my mental health. I was like, this is not right. People were just coming in. I could see older generations, how how sucked out their souls were every day coming in. You know, I could see the effect that this was having on them. And I, I kind of got out of control again at home. So it, 
it wasn't the location that was ever the problem. It was always the problem in, in the head. So, Jonathan, and like when you say it in that context, you know, you start off the book and, and you um, talk about the hits and all the different things that contribute to issues like anxiety, depression, lack of confidence, stress, grief, debt, paranoia, eating disorders, relationship problems, employment problems, substance abuse, alcohol abuse, gambling, uh, PTSD, OCD, all those things. Would you be able to, you'd be ticking the boxes on all of them probably? Um, I wouldn't say all of them now, you know, the yeah. likes of uh, PSD and things like that. Um, I was just given a good variety of examples in case people have maybe a short list view of what mental health issues are. But yeah, without a doubt, I would have definitely ticked the box on a lot of them. You know, even simple things like sitting in the pub with my best friends and in my head, I'm, why am I here? What am I doing here? That group over there is talking about me. Absolute absolute fear over over nothing and it was just something I was doing to myself and like when I gave myself that opportunity to be at home to play for Gidor I remember my house has a view of the football pitch I remember not being able to leave my room to go down to training I would open up the window and watch from my room and when when my friends would text me or ring me before or after are you coming I would make up the silliest excuse in the world that I was busy or helping someone out because I just didn't know why, but I couldn't bring myself to be around the group. So in that state of mind, and that's literally what it is, a state of mind, in that state of mind, did you stay in Gidor, or did you say, I need to get out of here and head for the UAE? Uh, Did the penny drop before you left Gidor? No, the penny definitely didn't drop. And um, what what was uh, probably... My move to the UAE was kind of um, made on different terms. So when I when I was sixteen, I had um, I had a girlfriend for a couple of years, and um, she was also from the local area. And we probably um, parted ways uh, through the college years. And maybe some of the the issues I said earlier were probably to blame for those for that then parting ways. But then out of the blue, one day she called me to tell me that she was moving to Dubai. And that that was a very, she was waiting a long time for a response. I was speechless. <laughs> and um, I, I was thinking to myself, oh, well, that's that's the ball burst there. I'm not going to, I'm not going to see her again. So I actually spent that year finishing off my H-step to be a teacher and my parents were showing me schools in Dublin and schools in Gidor that I could apply for. And I was telling them, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And the only schools I was applying for was in the UAE with the hope that I'd meet her again and we'd bump into each other again. So um, moving out to the UAE was uh, was definitely chasing after chasing after the ex-girlfriend. So, so, so in the state of mind you were in, and we'll use that again. You head to the UAE, and uh, you, when when did you arrive out there? How long how long are you in the UAE now? So I'm in the UAE five years now, and okay. um, I, I had I had to take Abu Dhabi because it was the only offer on the table. So that's how that's as close as I could nearly get to Dubai to give myself a chance. So now you arrive from Donegal out into the UAE, which is a culture shock within itself. Um, in a, let's say, chaotic state of mind. 
Um, walk me through your first few weeks, months out in the UAE. Um, the, the first week was an experience. It was nothing like the brochures that we were showed um, when applying for the job or accepting the offer. Um, I was picked up by, I think, an Indian man in a little banged up truck who as as the longer he was driving, the smaller the skyscrapers got till suddenly we were out in the middle of the desert um, and there was just a big building across the road with the sc- a big, huge school there. And I remember that one of the first nights at maybe four or five in the morning when I was trying to sleep, but it was too hot, I could hear this this big voice. It was like It was like God was speaking. And I panicked. I thought the place was under fire or war or something and I, I ran outside it was actually it was the first time I ever heard the call to prayer I didn't realise that this was a thing that the call to prayer would be heard throughout the land at certain times throughout the day so that was a massive culture shock that had me on edge to start with and uh, then when you find yourself in this desert um from every respect, things are different. You don't have access. Well, were there other Irish there uh, to start with? Were you coming into your own or the group of people that were already established there? Uh, what did you experience there? Starting off, you know, it, it was great, but except the work, the, the the teaching side of it, again, I was maybe a little bit um, unexperienced for to be working with uh, people from maybe uh, Jamaica, Libya, you know, it was just a cauldron of first time I've ever seen so many foreign people and different culture clashes in a in a place. So I was on edge there. But after a while, we, we found your Irish community and you joined the Irish football team. And um, there's a massive, massive Irish community mm. community in the UAE, and you you soon find your find your mates and you you find your your nights out, and it was just like being 17 again. It was like being you know back being fit, playing for your local team, being confident again, and uh, it was like being that that first year in college, being fit, being on the team, being confident, having your nights out. It was great, but then soon enough when when the mental health issues kick in again and you didn't like your workspace and you were like maybe pushing close colleagues and friends that you live with away from maybe waiting for Thursday for your night out and then maybe drinking with your football team all day Friday and a few of the lads will go for a few beers on Saturday. So then you're going into work Sunday in a bad state of mind and that's having a knock-on effect on your week and you're I was always wondering, I, I did this for two years, and I was always wondering, why am I feeling like this all week? But then I would do the same thing, same habits every weekend, and then scratching my head, wondering what was wrong at the week, through the week. So when did the penny drop? Um, at the end of our first year um, in, in the UE, we were, we were having a, bit of a house party because we were we were out in the middle of nowhere and there was um, two villas next door to each other and you know at this stage I probably I probably um, wasn't the biggest the most popular man in the room with a couple of people I worked with and um, lived with just because of 
the carrying on that we were doing at the weekends. But I got to the stage where like anxiety was kicking in and I didn't know where to turn to and you just wanted to be home, but you couldn't reach out to anyone really because that, that shame that was attached to it, that stigma. And one of my friends was actually gone for the evening. So I actually went down to his room and locked the door because I knew if people were ask, inviting me over to the party, they'd go up and check my room. And people were knocking on the door and I could hear, where's Johnny? Oh, he must be, he must be gone into town and whatever. And I just, my head was all over the place. So I just got, got the football and when I went away for a walk and I didn't know where I was going. I, I just was walking with my ball, with my thoughts, just didn't want to be there. Just to, to be honest, I don't know what was going through my head. I was maybe thinking of, I wish I could call this person or I wish this person was here or I wish I wasn't here at all, maybe. And I was just at the side of a, uh, found myself at the side of a motorway, um, close enough out in the desert. And it was just, it was just like out here, the, the roads are so dangerous on a good day. It's, they're very, it's dangerous driving, dangerous roads, trucks. It's, it's dodgy at the best of times. Um, but that's, I just found myself thinking this, this could be it here now. And, uh, I sat down and I put the football beside me and had a very, very, very tough couple of moments. Um, with my thoughts, I had a real, real, real battle on my, ha- my hands. Um, it wasn't easy, uh, but thankfully I was managed to grab the ball again and turn on my heels and make my way back. So while that's a, a, an actual as well as a symbolic turnaround, to walk back and to start a recovery process, how did you know where to turn or where to look um, when, you, when you, the penny did drop? Um, I, I probably the penny didn't drop for long enough. Um, I, I did go home that that evening. I I snuck into the house and locked the door again. Um, I actually I could have actually made my way over and I showed a face next door anyway. But it was all it was all um, a show, you know. Like my my best friends, my my family members would, wouldn't have known that I was ever going through stuff like this. Well, I, I guess my family members would, you know, your loved ones would know you're going through stuff like this when you look at it. But I thought I was putting on a great face. You know, I always wanted to be the show of the party and, you know, just having great crack and trying to, trying to, I don't know, impress maybe. And, um, I just knew that summer that I had something to look forward to. Um, I, Paul, I, I watched the Paul Galvin documentary, Galvinized, and I seen how he set his weekly goals. I started doing that. And when I came back to the UAE, I bought um, my first uh, self-development book, Tony Robbins, Awaken the Giant Within. Now, I, I never read a book before. Um, no, I, I never read a book before. I, was, I, I wasn't a big reader. And this was a heavy book. But I remember I had a highlighter out and I did highlight a couple of golden nuggets and I did try to implement that into my daily routine. But now this was a slow process. 
like maybe a month or two later, I got another book, End of McNulty Commit, which I really enjoyed. And then all of a sudden, I started bit by bit. But that following year, I was by no means any angel or by no means out of the woods. And uh, I don't think you ever are out of the woods either. Because, um, you know, I was still making the same mistakes in the second year. And thankfully then that um, I actually managed to win the the lady I moved across to the UAE for. I won her back. And uh, I started to get the show on the road again and um, started getting the act together. Um, but so I moved to Dubai after that. So <clears throat> when you mentioned Commit, you mentioned Tony Robbins, and I, and I know you have a, a comprehensive reading list at the back of the, the book. And what struck me about it was, first of all, you did an awful lot of reading in a relatively short period of time and that you took it on board. Um, Reading is fantastic, but I remember being at a, a, an event one occasion and there was a, a guy and he was given a, a motivational guy and he said, if you were to use one word in order to describe how something is successful, what one word might that be? And I never forgot this because uh, I'll toss it at you. And what do you think that one word might be? Um, I don't know if it's because it's fresh in my head, but um, com- commit, commitment. No. Action. Because you can okay. commit all you want. You can plan all you want. You can strategize all you want. But if you don't take action, nothing happens. And do you know what's do you know what's funny about my answer and your answer? Um, I've been working with a couple of clients all week, and that's what I'm trying to drill into them to take action and stop talking about these things that they're talking about. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Um, and I never forgot that. I never forgot that because you know in business. Um, people they develop business plans and they develop strategies. And this guy's summary of it all was, that's all brilliant. But you have to take action. Yeah. So coming to the one word, talk, tell me about the action. Um, the action for myself was, yeah. you know, like I wasn't a big reader, but I knew I had... I knew I had to work on my self-development. Um, so I got a couple of books. I started taking notes. I, I took out a mirror. I started writing who I wanted to be on the mirror. I started practicing self-talk, uh, positive self-talk. I started, like my room and my room used to be used filled with um, whiteboards with goals and what I would have to do every day to get one step closer to these goals. Even, even, even to this day, I write down monthly goals and I write, always make sure I write down three or four. That just seems so unrealistic. And it's so funny how many of them that I take off the list and within two or three weeks of actually writing them down. Um, like the action, because something I'm drilling into clients and people I'm working with and students I'm working with, it's just, you just have to go and take a step towards it and take a step. Like it might seem so far away, but you need to take one step towards it each day, you know? 
You mentioned also that uh, in the book, and, and it is, I guess, so important, that how you start the day, the action of starting the day, uh, so many people get up and the action of starting the day is filled with negativity. Yeah, like, especially in this day and age, and um, I can't speak for maybe the older generation, but definitely I can speak for the younger generations. You know, the first thing people are doing straight away is grabbing onto that iPhone and checking their social media. You're you're letting in thousands of people into your bedroom or into your head before you even got a chance to shake yourself off and get yourself ready to take on the day. You're taking on maybe someone else's issue or someone else's victory. And, you know, like social media is not, it doesn't, um, it doesn't show the real what's going on behind the scenes at all. So letting that into your head the first thing is the worst, worst way to start, start your day off. So what you've put on paper, and again, I'll have to say it's powerful that um, someone that, and I don't say this in any um, way other than to say someone who has so much ahead of them, and in many ways, so little time but so much living behind them, that you've been able to put on paper um, a, a concise road plan, roadmap of a methodology that can help somebody to try and deal with some of these things, to try and deal with the negativity. What inspired you to put it in paper? Um, I, I, I kind of seen that, you know, there are, there definitely are people working towards mental health issues and there's, um, you know, companies or whatever you want to call them. But like, I, I never seen, I've never seen them. I didn't know where to go to them. And you might hear an advert on TV, but, that's very passive and I seem like maybe maybe female females are a little bit more open to talking because um in a study I've found that females are more open to talk about their mental health even though like it's it's maybe forty, sixty in that terms, like it's we're very, very level in these things. Um so I I originally wanted just to make a workbook, a five page, ten page workbook of exercises that a man could maybe use because I, I did see a similar workbook for ladies. So I, I just wanted to put a workbook together that the 18 year old me could have taken on board. It was never, it was never meant to even reach the likes of yourself in Canada. That, that was never a, a driving force behind it. It was, it was more of a personal experience that maybe I could share with. A, a friend or someone who might need it and just once I started putting pen to paper I just found I, I couldn't stop and like I had a lot more to add into that but I know from reading books or listening to books on audible that if a book is really really big and really long I, I kind of find I'm rushing either through it or I'm trying to get through it as quick and I'm not taking them golden nuggets from it so I, I was kind of trying to aim it at me as a reader who could just read it in and out, get what I need from it, and maybe revisit it, no problem, if I needed to. And then you've decided to make it available. Um, it's as a PDF download, and you're not looking for anything. You're just sharing your experience with anyone who wishes, which is tr- tremendously – it's a wonderful thing to do. Yeah. 
it was because when I was making the workbook, it was always going to be a free download. Now, when it became what it is today, the only time um, putting a price on it crossed my head was I actually read a thing in psychology that if you actually buy a book, you're invested in it and you will read it. And even on um, on those apps now, if you get a free book, you're more likely not to read it. But if you actually pay for it, you're more likely to read it. But I just had to I had to um, stay stay true to my own values and my own beliefs. And I thought if this was free, that maybe someone like an uncle could say, "Oh, my nephew's maybe struggling with something. I'll get him that," or I could get something out of this, or my my mother or my father could do with something out of this. And it could spread to as many people as possible. Um, Jonathan, the last chapter. This is not the finish line. Tell yeah, me. go for it. Go for it. So <laughs> you, you, you title it, This is Not the Finish Line. Yeah, because it, it was originally the conclusion. And, you know, for me, at, uh, currently in my life, um, you know, it's, 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 there's not a finish line, you know. I've nothing but things to look, look forward to now. You know, that, that girl that I moved across to Dubai for, we got engaged at Christmas there. So, um, I think I mentioned that, that persistence is key. Um, and just this, this coaching journey and helping out people. I have a lot to look forward to. I'm trying to hopefully get a massive conversation undergoing and, uh, maybe I'm, youth mental health campaign at home in Ireland and just to go around to discuss these topics with not only not not only students in early education and secondary education but also employers and employees in corporations because you know these things can can leak into everyday work life as well if anyone wants to get their hands on the book um, where should they go now, if I can find a place to make it more readily available, I will I will look into that. But at the moment, uh, they can find it on um, my bio on my Facebook page or on my Instagram page, which is Jonathan Harkin. It's in the link three bio under Solo Run. Indeed, and uh, I will be posting a link to it and also um, uh, pointing, as I said, to your Facebook page. Um Jonathan, it's been fascinating. It's been wonderful having a chat. It's been inspirational. And uh, it's great to see that, uh, as I said so uh, at the beginning, I'll say again, that someone who has their life ahead of them um, has the opportunity to live it and to embrace it uh, and to learn from uh, what you've, you've experienced in the past and that you're willing to share that with others who are struggling. Uh, thank, thank you very much, and it's, it's, I'm laughing every every time you say that because it's funny. Like me, pe- people my age often think, you know, that they're that they are nearly finished, and you know they can't see can't see the the green lights ahead of them. So it's good when you put it like that because you know we're we've only we've only we're only started. We're only getting started. <laughs> Thanks a million, Jonathan. Thanks very much.